welcome, welcome to another episode of Filmmakers on the Cutting Edge from CreativeSpark.ai, where we have conversations with filmmakers who use or create cutting-edge technologies, tools, and workflows to be more creative and productive. I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin. Feel free to get a hold of me, Marcelo, at CreativeSpark.ai. Also, remember to check out our site, CreativeSpark.ai, for more podcast episodes and tutorials. Finally, if you're watching this on YouTube, please remember to subscribe to our channel and click that bell icon to get notified when a new episode is out. And if you did like this episode, hit that like button. And if you didn't, send me an email and tell me why. Now, today's episode is all about exploring generative AI for animation and visual effects with my guest, VFX artist and product designer, Ross Shane. So let's get him on. Ross, welcome. How are you, sir? Hey, Marcelo. Thanks a lot for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to have you here. Uh, we've known each other for a very, very long time. I had another website many years ago called Filmmaking Webinars, and we had a great relationship. You were on it. Uh, you were at that time with Boris FX, right? Uh, actually, no, you got acquired by Boris FX. Yeah, that was with yeah. Imagineer Systems. Imagineer Systems, that's right, which acquired, uh, Boris acquired it, right? Exactly. Then you moved on to there. So it's been... A long time, lots has changed with technology. It's crazy. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, you know, I've been doing in this industry for quite a long time and it's it's always, you know, it's always changing. But as you know, the last year with AI is just, you know, kind of blown up really how, how fast things are changing. Well, tell me, I mean, you've been through it all. I mean, you were doing rotoscoping before anybody else with Imagineer Systems. You were on the front of everything, cutting-edge technologies back then uh, with Boris FX later. Has any of this surprised you? Do you see this as a progression of where, where you were expecting to be? Or are you just blown away by like AI and everything happening? I think I'm probably like most people right now, which are just kind of blown away by how fast, you know, we always knew that AI, machine learning, you know, these kind of things were coming and they were being employed in some products, you know, for years. But uh, as far as the generative AI, you know, and what's really happened in the last, you know, year to six months or, you know, every every week there seems to be every some week, man, you know, papers yeah. being published and it, it's really uh, pushing forward so rapidly. Today I had a, another uh, recording conversation about uh, color correcting and grading and how AI is affecting that and how AI is doing a lot of this color matching and color correcting that used to be the colorist doing it. Now AI is doing that, which frees up the colorist to do the more of the grading right. and the, the mood and the feel, right? Um, so there's a lot of changes for all of us here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I, I'm excited about the idea of empowering creative people. And I know there's yeah. always going to be a lot of people who are a little concerned about these tools taking away our jobs and things like this. But, um, you know, for me, the real excitement and my focus has really been looking at these tools and how how they can sort of spark some creative, uh, creative spark, uh, you know, mm -hmm. how, influence uh, artists and how artists can really take advantage of the tools. Right. Uh, for me, I've always, my whole life with computers, my goal, I've always just liked to play with them and almost break them or try to try to take advantage of the things they might not be made to do. And I think there's just so many cool opportunities uh, with AI right now just for creative visual imagery. It's amazing. It's a, I see it as a partnership right between AI and, and the creatives, not a adversarial relationship at all. Um, 
But tell us a little bit about your background um, so people have a sense of, you know, how long you've been doing this for and where you're, you know, what you've been doing. Yeah, sure. So I, I've been in the industry for you know, over 20 years. Uh, I went to film school. I was always really interested in animation and rotoscoping. And, you know, I studied optical printing and literally on with film, 60 millimeter film production back in the day. This is really before digital editing was happening. And just at the time, you know, the early 90s, that's really when the digital editing revolution was happening and then digital compositing. And I was lucky enough to get a job at Avid in my early 20s and became a product specialist at Avid. And for me, that was almost like a grad school or PhD program, right. you know, very quickly got exposed to Silicon Graphics animation machines and, uh, you know, early Maya and Matador, which was the first paint package for, for film. And that sort of kicked me off into the world of visual effects. That's awesome. Now, um, you were at Imagineer, uh, then you went into Boris FX, right? You were there. Yeah, I've had such an interesting career where it was almost like every three or four years, I'd go back and forth between creative, you know, and work on uh, commercials or music videos or films, and then work on the software side um, as a product designer or marketer, marketer or product evangelist, did a lot of training. Uh, of different software tools over the, the over the years, and I was actually in production working on a commercial where we were, we had to motion track a shot, and we we basically couldn't do it with any of the available tools uh, that we had at the post production facility I was working with, and I found a small company called Imagineer Systems. They had uh, this is before Mocha. They had the early prototypes of Moki, which was uh, had planar tracking. And I was able to use that that software and uh, you know finish the shot for the advertising agency, but I was just so blown away by the technology of planar tracking and ended up having a relationship with them and joined them and sort of uh, created Mocha together, uh, which sort of put us on the map. So the very first planar track, mo planar motion tracking app. Right. Yeah, definitely. That's what I love about you. You're always on that forefront looking for things, but you always mix it up with the real production experience, which I think that's the best kind of evangelist, right? It's not a salesperson, but it's a person that really is doing this thing. Absolutely. And that's really been important to me throughout my career is, you know, going on site to film studios and talking to editors or compositors or colorists and learning about what, you know, the challenges that they have and basically then translating that into features, going back and working with the developers and creating features based on that kind of uh, interaction. Right, definitely. Now, of course, um, you uh, mentioned um, music video, and um, that's what we're here to talk about, is you have this music video. I'm going to show my screen here. You have this music video that you created. When when was this shot? Because it's 4.3, so obviously a while ago. Yeah, this was actually shot before HD, or right maybe <laughs> HD was just coming. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, early 2000s. Right. And uh, this is for a band that's called Papas Fritas, for uh, anyone who uh, might, uh, Gen Xers maybe. <laughs> they were a really cool uh, indie rock band that I, I was friendly with and on the record label called Minty Fresh. And this is for their their third album. They came out with uh, a great song, and I just worked with the band. Had a concept of creating a, a rotoscope hand hand uh, animated kind of look. It was just always a look that I really loved. Um, I like uh huh. You know, 
yeah, like AHA. And, uh, you know, there's a lot before AHA. There's a lot of sort of early experimental films that kind of employed this kind of technique where, I mean, it was literally you're, you're tracing on the image frame right. by frame. Right. So, um, yeah, so this is what we ended up coming with and coming up with, which was really kind of going for a hand, hand-drawn, independent kind of feel. So let's look at the hand-drawn. I'm going to play it real quick. The audio should play and tell me if you don't hear it, but... By the way, the song is great. I love it. After yeah, playing this over and, uh, you know, playing in Premiere, I love the, the song. I think I've heard the song more than any song yeah, I I bet. at this point. <laughs> so I'm going to stop it here. I'm just going to jump around a little bit so people can see. Let's. I'm going to go ahead and um, turn on the, how this is what you shot, right? Yeah, this, yeah, this is essentially the guide track. We knew that we were going to be animating. Um, so we really, you know, kind of planned out the 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 shots very very particularly yeah you can see the camera's not really moving in, in any of the shots uh it's really it's right like lockdown camera because um, you knew you were going to hand trace the drawing right it, exactly and, and some of the shots have the, a wide angle lens feel which is kind of like a neat thing uh to really kind of you don't really see animation with like a wide angle lens feel that was another play that we did and um yeah, that's kind of that was it really. It was it was all about like simplicity and really letting this sort of like hand drawn kind of loose animation style play through. So what year was this? Oh man. That you shot it and you did with hand animation. Yeah, we're going back like almost twenty years, I believe. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Early two thousands. So fast forward to November of last year. I don't know, whenever, you know, this whole AI and you got into it, but uh fast forward to twenty twenty two, I'm assuming. Yeah. So in the last year or so, I, I started really getting interested in the generative AI tools that were coming out. And like probably many, you know, my first exposure was either like Stable Diffusion uh, or, or MidJourney. Um, and so I started really playing with MidJourney quite a bit for just image generative AI image stuff and got really just inspired by what you could do you know, create, you know, text to image kind of prompting. Then the uh, the next phase of that was image to image or taking an image and kind of, you know, using another image to style transfer. Um, so I let's play it so people can see what the output is and then we'll talk about the whole process. But at the end of the day, you took this thing that was shot 20 years ago and ran it through AI to come up with this new piece, right? That's right. When I heard about these kind of new image to image video generators like Runway, um, that's when I, I was like, okay, I have a perfect project to really test this on. Right, right. So let's look at that. So just a reminder, this ultimate, you shot it, you shot this, the light plate, then you guys did this hand-drawn way back 20 years ago. Then I'm assuming you took the live plate and then ran it through your AI tools and came up with this. Yeah, so we took that live plate on DV, standard definition, up that using uh, Topaz AI to right. uh, 4K, which did an amazing job. And then we basically uh, ran I mean, that. I that. That's yeah. just crazy. And that was then uh, went through Runway's generative uh, image to video. So using, using an image as a sort of a base style and then applying that style to the video frames to create this animation style. Let's watch a couple of seconds here. 
Now, I'm going to rewind a little bit because I want to show some of the limitations of AI right now, right? Obviously, but if you look at the face, right, a little bit the eyes, they were, if you really start analyzing, it goes by really quickly. But um, this we want to point out about AI today, right? There are still some some there's, issues going on with there's, AI. There's definitely like issues to deal with and, you know, I, we can look at it a little closer in a second, but yeah, things like uh, lip sync, things like the the eyes, the features, especially because we're you know the hands, they're not hands, really hands, and hands, fingers. What's actually very interesting too is if we when we look at this, if we look at shots with all three members of the band, it it, it the AI really you know you can do an, a style transfer on one person, but when there's multiple people in the shot. Retaining a, a sort of a, a common thread or keeping the consistency from uh, from uh, shot to shot with multiple uh, characters on screen can be a challenge as well. Right. I was I was trying to to find a three shot there, but yeah, like the three shots. Like oh that. yeah, you can see the face right here, right? The mouth and the eye kind of thing. How and right here on this guy right there. Yeah, I can go in a little bit. So let's zoom in. Uh, where's my zoom out here? Let's go to here. Yeah, you can see, right? Obviously. Yep. Um, now, what version of Mid Journey were you using there? So I think that was Mid Journey version four. When okay, so would this may have changed now with five point one. Yeah, but but also Mid Journey was using the style transfer, and then Runway was really doing taking that uh, an image as a style and in and convert it to video. The ru Runway uh, they came out with this thing called Gen One. Um, what I think, I don't know, about four months ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, it was really the beginning of 2023. And I got I got on the access to the beta, which was really great. I, and I thank Runway for, for letting me, you know, interact with it. And so did lots and lots of testing with Gen 1 and actually, you know, had a nice relationship with some of the people at Runway and kind of gave them some feedback from my perspective. Um, and so that was the, the beta of Gen 1. So actually, I... There were some difficulties, for example, at the time, run, uh, Gen 1 could only do three seconds. So, right. so you'll see that there's, uh, you know, some of these shots as we look at through the video, I had to add cuts even where there wasn't a cut in the original video and kind of ended up just to extend it. Yeah. yeah. And I ended up employing that as sort of a technique in the video where you're kind of some, sometimes even if it's the same shot, it will go from one style to a slightly different style. Yeah, yeah. So let's go through the workflow in your tools. I'm going to show you your screen so you can show us. I know it all started with uh, Mint Journey, right? Um, so let me show your screen right there. There we go. You know, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and go on, on this so that way we can see. All right. Okay. Before I go into Mint Journey, I just want to mention one thing. Is, you know, I start with Premiere. Here's the original video. And I needed to break this up into single clips. So I used... Um, uh, a cut, basically auto cut detection, which is a really cool thing that's found inside of uh, Premiere. And it basically uh, automatically broke the timeline into every clip as, as its own. That way I could- So the cuts, it actually cut, cut it for you. Yeah, exactly. It cut it and also broke it up into little sub clips. That way I could batch export each of these clips out separately <laughs> for runway. Oh, that's awesome. So is this a new feature in Premiere Pro? The that came out a couple of years ago. It's okay. a scene edit detection right there. So and I'm assuming it's using Sensei? I believe so. That's uh, yeah. that's Adobe's AI that, right. that, that does that. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, if I jump into uh, a web browser here, um, 
this is, um, I'm in Discord, which is, uh, you probably know, Marcel, you know, lots of different applications run inside Discord. It's like a, a forum, uh, you know, there's forums, but also uh, different companies can actually run software within Discord. So right. uh, within Discord, basically, um, these are some style frames that I created. And essentially, I, I was thinking about different different ways, you know, different kind of looks to convert this into, you know, different looks that I would then feed into Runway. Um, so you could sort of, some, some of the prompts, you know, I use like hand-drawn anime cartoon with Matisse lighting. Um, and there's different things that you can do in in uh, mid-journey. For example, um, if I hit settings, you can you can bring up a, uh, a whole little uh, interface in mid-journey and they have something called Niji, which is it will it will kind of make the outputs always look like anime. So that was kind of a cool thing to play with. So that way I could just like keep it in this Niji mode. But I ended up coming with coming up with a bunch of different style frames. So these are just like mid-journey style frames. You know, you can sort of see there is the band converted into this sort of sort of looks like the NVIDIA a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I can, you know, scroll through a couple of these. Just these are different style frames that, you know, I was kind of going for, you know, that I ended up liking. What's interesting is when I apply this in Runway, it, it did not always give me the look I wanted. And I ended up using just a frame like this um, because it got, it kind of was able to sell the idea of uh, these kind the of mood. like the mood. Yeah, the, the black outline frames, the lighting, you know, so it really is a combination of uh, sort of like a Matisse kind of style, but with anime. Mm -hmm. And that ended up being through lots of experimentation that ended up being the style that I ended up going with. So you didn't have to create for each member a shot image journey that then was paired through uh, Gen 1. You used that one kind of mood uh, um, uh, element and then ran that through the entire thing? Well, it, it, yeah, so in general, that one, that this says one style frame was used mostly. But then I did run into a lot of problems. So if we look at the timeline, we can sort of talk through. Um, you could sort of see here's the shot of the bass player, the very first shot. And if I double click, these are just different iterations I made. So you could see that's kind of cool, but it did something weird with the shirt. Right. Here's, a, here's another version, you know, just different versions. And you'll see like in my bin, many, many versions of different so you can see there's the lead singer and it, it, I really liked that look. And that's sort of, that's kind of why I ended up choosing that style frame is I just loved the way he came out looking in that shot. Mm -hmm. But then when I applied it to something like his mouth, you'll see it went a little bit crazy. So that's where I had to actually create my own style frames for mouth and kind of, it wasn't as, uh, as automated as you might think it was. Right. Cause as you go through the timeline, running the same exact process against on every shot here kind of had some uh, different results. If we th go over here, um, maybe this is kind of also sort of interesting is uh, here you can see the shot of Shibika. She's the drummer and the singer of the band. And you'll see, see these are some different examples of different renders that I came up with, 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 for her.
what was really difficult was actually um, to to make her kind of look. Uh, these close-up shots were really, really difficult to kind of uh, maintain the same kind of consistency um, as the shots of, you know, the close-ups of of uh, Tony, the, the the male singer. Um, I had to kind of cu- just come up with some really interesting techniques and kind of like old-fashioned compositing. Um, right. This shot actually of her, you can sort of see here. This is I actually used uh, a Boris effects tool called Beauty Studio. If I turn it off, you can sort of see that's the original. Um, right. And I use Beauty Studio to just basically smooth out her skin tones. For some reason, uh, you know, it's just that it was get, producing too much noise and kind of producing sort of a funky result. But you wanted, you needed to do that prior to sending it to Gen 1 so you can get the results you want. I- exactly. So mm. although we can sort of say that AI is, you know, automating this whole thing <laughs> it really was a process of going through uh right frame by frame or just you know, if we even look at this really quickly you'll just sort of see that how this was sort of built was um i'll turn those off so here in premiere i have a base layer above it i actually have a black and white animation because i wasn't getting the black and white lines look on her eyes that i really liked and even that has a mask on it. So I ended up masking out the eyes to composite that on top. So there's lots of little tricks in there. So her pupils coming back in with one more. So sometimes I actually combined three different runway renders inside Premiere and composite them together to get the look that I wanted. Right, right. So I think it's really, it's an important thing to to note here is that AI is not magic yet, at least not for professional filmmakers. Maybe you can take the file, whatever output it gives you and you're doing an amateur video, that's cool. But at the end of the day, professional filmmakers that really want these details, right, to be consistent, it's not there yet fully for the workflows that we're used to. That's really, I think, the the struggle for using AI tools for professional filmmakers right now is repeatability reproducing things and not only that it's just because you know i would get a different result using the same exact prompt and the same exact settings so even going from one shot to the next shot would kind of jump um but for me you know as like a, a visual effects artist and and longtime compositor i like to be able to touch and feel the tools like mm-hmm. i like to be able to to draw or to manipulate a spline or to say, hey, these lines should be a little thicker. And that's, with AI, everything is really raster-based right now. I mean, we're seeing some tools are beginning to um, come out with editable formats. But right now, it's like you have a video raster format as your end result. So you really can't touch it and play with it unless you get back into traditional compositing. Right, right, exactly. So I'm not showing your screen anymore. Uh, and I think that's the key here is like, I mean, you have all these tools and all these tools have to work together and be placed in a workflow that work along also with traditional tools. But it just sounds right now, and this isn't a negative, that's just where we're at with AI, right? It's we're at sort of the beginning here and things will, will get better, definitely. I always say this is the worst that AI is going to get, right? And from this point on, it's going to get better. So, yeah, Absolutely. I mean, there's so many exciting things that are happening in the generative AI world for, you know, even narrowly for for, for film and video makers. I, I sort of think that we're like on this sort of precipice of the roller coaster, but we're not even at the top. We're just, you know, 
just about to come over the curve. And then we're re really going to start seeing things. I think when these tools can um, produce not only a raster based result, but they can, but you can interact with the tools in, in, in the same way that you can in Photoshop, for example. Right. Right. Definitely. So just to do a recap, because I want to move on to the, to the, the other questions to, to talk a little bit more about the bigger picture, but to do a recap, you started with obviously what you shot 20 years ago, then you, you frame by frame, basically figured out the look and feel you want in mid journey, use that in to generate your new videos in Gen 1, right? To use the mid-journey image with the videos that you have to fix to get that look and feel you wanted. And then you brought all that back into Premiere to do the final edit, basically. Yeah, that's essentially the workflow. And some people might ask, you know, why did you use mid-journey? Couldn't you just use Gen 1, you know, for all of this? Because yeah. Runway does have image and editors. Editor. They have their own text text to image um, as well. And they have their editor and NLE that you can put it all together. I, I, exactly. Um, you know, I think Runway is a brilliant company. I, I, the editor just doesn't have enough features for me to, to do that, you know, have the control that I wanted. And I felt I did a bunch of tests with their text to video and I just was not getting the same kind of results that I would, I was getting with mid journey. I think that they're basically probably a little ahead of, of the curve right now for the, the quality that you can get out, out of, uh, out of mid journey. So I ended up using that as the influence, as the style frame. Exactly. Well, I think at the end of the day, you got to use the best of breed tools together, right? Not sort of a monolith and not that, uh, runways a monolith, but I mean like a tool that does everything because obviously they can't compete when, when one company focuses on image generation, they're going to do great, right? versus doing a whole bunch of other stuff. So you, as a filmmaker, you're going to be using all these tools. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think MidJourney has a massive user base and they're really, you know, that's one of the reasons why they're moving so rapidly is they they're using the data that the, the users are, are entering in, right? So when you uh, up-res or choose a, a, one of your images in MidJourney as that's the one you like, then that influences the algorithm, right? Right, yeah, definitely. So what did you find most challenging in this, this entire process? Um, there's a couple challenges. I mean, definitely working with beta software is always challenging, right? Because the, the application that you're working with is slowly, it, it might change. So when it first came out, when, uh, Gen 1 first came out, you know, I mentioned it was, a uh, you could only, it was limited to three seconds and a certain kind of resolution. And I ended up having to do a lot of like interesting timing effects to make sure that things were, uh, syncing up right especially if I had a clip that was longer than three seconds, I had to come up with my own techniques to kind of maintain some kind of consistency. Um, that was definitely challenging. Um, trying to think what else. Um, and then just once I committed to a look and feel across the board, then all of a sudden one shot would sort of come, I'd hit one shot and it couldn't get it to look like the same as the other shots. And I think that's just consistency of care of this, you know, it, does this band member look the same in this shot that they did in another shot? And I just really kind of went into a rabbit hole because you're, you know, you're using text prompts, but you're also using different weighting parameters. Um, and it's a lot of it's based on random seeds as well. So it was right. trial and error. So how long did it take you to convert all this footage? It seemed like it would be quite a bit. Yeah, it was, it was quite a lot of work definitely. And I guess, although I wasn't working on the, the, um, project as like a full-time job, you know, I had no deadline here. It's just something, a project that I wanted to use as an experiment. 
but I would say is I worked on it for about uh, six weeks uh, o- over the course of uh, you know last couple months. Yeah. Start. So I'm going to pose an interesting and maybe controversial question to you. But there are plugins that are not AI that can give you kind of like that cartoon feel, right? That are that that you can literally drag and drop. Um, how does why did you choose AI to do that? I mean, beyond the fact that hey, it's AI, let's try it out and see what that process is. Do you do? You, is there a comparison or I mean, what's? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. It's actually very. It's exactly why I chose AI. Um, there's been a lot of plugins that have tried to attempt to do this kind of cartooner look, which is using techniques of like edge detection and right. kind of blurring lines and uh, kind of employing a couple of different techniques. Um, but the problem with these over the years is just like the temporal consistency. You always see jittering edges. Mm. And that was the always the problem. You'd, you'd never see like a consistent enough look using a... Uh, these kind of automated plugins, which are not using AI. And when, you know, I started seeing um, some, some people have used stable diffusion and um, some very custom things, uh, custom uh, tools to kind of get that temporal consistency. But it wasn't until I saw runways, runways uh, gen one that I was like, wow, this is actually, it's here. This is the, con- the temporal consistency on the edges is, is something that I immediately saw and said, well, that's, really groundbreaking and i think that's why i you know got inspired to say hey let's let's use right. this old project as a test right right and i was trying to be devil's advocate because i knew why you would use it but i just you know it's also a valid question right there are plugins there that are not ai that could give you some kinds of looks but i think that's great and and again this is like the worst it'll get right so that means it's only going to get better from here so the consistency should get better uh, much sooner rather than later, as as we're seeing all this progression in technology. Yeah, there's a lot of technology that's uh, can't come out very, uh, you know, very recently. So it's not just runway at this point. You're seeing uh, with ControlNet as a sort of like a an AI model, basically that you can kind of employ with with Stable Diffusion, and people are doing some really really interesting things with it. So you're seeing like a lot, the just the general consistency, not only on these kind of cartoon looks but all kinds of uh, style transfer looks. Right. That's the other thing, right? You could have done something else from medieval times if you wanted or whatever, right? All of us, you just chose this. Um, from a cost perspective, if this was a real project that the band came to you, do you feel that at this point it would be too costly? Would Like if you would advise them, you know what I mean? From now that you've experienced the whole process, your time involved, CPU time, all those things that go into it. Yeah, no, I, I think for an independent project, like an indie band kind of project or um, different kinds of campaigns, you know, these days it's not, you know, there's just so many different types of video, right? So um, I definitely think that, you know, for the right project, you know, you could employ these tools. The thing is, again, it's about that, maintaining that consistency so yeah. i i wouldn't pitch like a uh, a half hour show <laughs> you know that would be really costly but not only that it would just i don't know if it would be achievable you know in in the time you know but for for a short project that is uh, open to sort of the the abstractions and the the things right that, in a music I, video you can get away with anything because you it, can say i meant to do that <laughs> exactly <laughs> i think the difference would be for me you know in, on a prefer- professional level is a, if you're working with like a different kind of client maybe a ad agency 
or much, there's a lot more money kind of riding on the particular project. And the agency is used to working with uh, creatives and saying, well, it's a, there's a back and forth creative process where, hey, can you do this? Can you do, right. can you, you know, can you make changes? And I think that's really where we're at. That's not, that is difficult is that making changes with these tools is not something that comes easily. Right. If all of a sudden they wanted a slight change in the look, we're talking about, I don't know how many frames you had, but we're talking about huge amount of re-rendering and maybe not even being able to do it. it exactly. It's not even, yeah, you know, it, you can't say yes, yes, I can do that. Uh, you, you could say, yes, I can play with it and try to get that look. But, you know, we're not really there yet where we're kind of the artist is empowered to have that precise control. Not at a video label, which is multiple frames. Maybe one frame, yeah, but at a, a multiple frames. Um, any uh, Adobe has Firefly, right? They, which is their generative AI for image creation, font, a whole bunch of stuff. Yep. Do you? What kind of integration would you like to see between these AI tools and the traditional tools you used? Premiere Pro, um, Photoshop. What 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 integration would you like to see in the future? Yeah, I mean uh, there. Right now, there's there's AI plugins that you can you know run inside of Photoshop, right? Or e there's even a new AI plugin for After Effects uh, that uh, that guys at AE Scripts um, created, which is uh, brings Stable Diffusion right into After Effects, and that's really cool because you can just uh, play with a slider and get an immediate result, um, mm. and that's a big part of it. I think that these tools have to have more parameters that are defined. Uh, for the artist. So for example, if we, if, if there is a cartooner kind of plugin, I would want controls to define the line width, to define the colors, to define right. the tapering of the strokes that, you know, more granular control so that the artist can make changes rather than kind of run this blind hit or miss process. In controls that make sense to the artist and not to the AI engine. Right. Because right. right now you have all these controls that you got to you're tweaking, but you don't even know what they I don't mean you personally, but we don't know what it means. Right. They're just parameters that are there and yeah. you think it does something, but you're not real sure. Yeah. There's like sort of minimal control where you could sort of say kind of make this look more like the source image or make it look more like the um, style image. And you can right. kind of dial those parameters up and down, but not with any predictable controls. Right. Exactly. Did you use anything for, uh, for the audio AI-wise? For the audio, no. No, the audio, you know, the original session was recorded in Pro Tools, which is actually kind of cool. Back in the day, you know, there was a time when before before digital uh, workstations for audio. But uh, yeah, for I didn't use any AI for the audio. I'm curious, did you, did you show the band this and what was their feedback? Yeah, yeah, I showed the band and the record label. They loved it. And uh, that's the record label actually re-released it. So now it's with your version. Yes, with with our version. Congratulations, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, so yeah, they're very happy with it. Oh wow! And I'm assuming you you told Runway about this because that's a big deal too. Oh yeah, yeah. The people, uh, lots of nice feedback from the people at Runway, and absolutely. Very and I think that's you've seen a lot of stuff at Runway, which is all you know some great work, but a lot of it tends to be. Right. short pieces right so i think that's the interesting challenge and what we'll start seeing more of is longer form longer form uh, content and just different types of content right well maybe in the near future we'll see you as a product designer in runway who knows with all the 
all the stuff you learned. <laughs> so what would you like to see happen in the future, in the near future? And the future for AI is like, you know, in two weeks. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really just happening so fast. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, again, I keep coming back to the granular controls and yeah. kind of like trying to um, create results, uh, tools for artists, not necessarily. I think what's interesting is so many of these uh applications they start as white papers and they kind of demo well mm -hmm. and then they go to this next stage which is like these public betas and a lot of the tools are kind of focused at this ultimate holy grail of auto solution like put it in get something out right whereas i'm i'm personally much more interested in the nitty-gritty details of like how, how people are going to interact with the tools in a much more uh dynamic way than just getting an auto solution and in, in a real workflow, right? I think the first tool to really tackle that is like Wonder Dynamics, right? Where you can output not just the final piece, but you can also output a clean plate. You can output uh, mocap data, absolutely real assets. That's a great example. Yeah, you can you can export the motion capture data and then you know bring that into a you know three D modeling application or to Unreal Engine and clean up the you know you have the control to clean up when it's not one hundred percent perfect mocap. Uh, you also have the camera tracking data. So I think that's really the next iteration. We'll start seeing more traditional formats come out of the AI. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Roz, it's been a pleasure. I'm glad uh, we got back together here and I got you back on the uh, podcast. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, rawshane.com is the best or anything else you want to give? Yeah, you can easily find me on LinkedIn, but you can find my website there. And uh, yeah, if you look at the, the the band again, it's called Papas Fritas. It's on YouTube. The song is called Way You Walk. And uh, yeah, I would love it for people to check out the whole video because, uh, you know, it's a really fun video. And like you say, it's a great song. We'll have all that on the uh, uh, show notes so people can link to it. So, Excellent. Ross, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot for your time. I appreciate it as well. And thanks to the rest of you. I hope uh, you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. And remember to check out Creative Spark Dive AI for more podcast episodes and tutorials. Focus on cutting-edge technologies, workflows, and tools to be a more creative and productive filmmaker. Also, another quick reminder, if you're on YouTube watching this, Go ahead and subscribe to the channel and click that bell icon so you know when the next episode is out. And if you enjoyed this episode, I hope you did, click that uh, like button. Um, and if you didn't, send me an email and tell me why, but I'm sure you liked it. So without uh, uh, further ado, thank you so much and we'll see you on the next one.